Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Fantastic. Well, we're finishing off our home series and uh, I want to... um, I want to just go uh, this morning, uh, just cover those first uh, moments. The, um, uh, we have looked through the book of um, Luke and understood that Jesus' Jesus's, um, time when he's first um, a- approached by the Pharisees and challenged about why he spends time with tax collectors and sinners is that he is building a home for them all to come into. He's building a home for the nations of, uh, of the world, that there may be a place that they can come, they can come home, they can find their identity, they can be healed and restored and sent out again. And, and in these um, three parables, the first parable uh, is the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, and we, we discovered that there was these sheep that were um, lost, um, that there is a multitude, a flock of sheep um, that we've always assumed is the church, but actually is, is the, the, the flock is not the church. The flock of sheep uh, is the world, um, but from the world, people get lost. And in that process of getting lost, Jesus sends us to bring them home. And uh, when, a sh- when Jesus talks about the shepherd, the shepherd goes and finds the sheep. He doesn't take you back to the flock. He brings the the sheep home and celebrates with his friends. The sheep has been returned. And then uh, we, we looked at the next week um, uh, and we looked at the, what, what was after, what was the next week? I think the lost coin, wasn't it? And that was, uh, James was speaking on the message of being lost in the house. How um, we uh, can be saved, we're part of the church, but but we get lost in the house, lost in our purpose and calling. And, 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 and there is a desire that the church, that, that, that people would know who they are in Christ. And, uh, and this last message is the story of what is famously known as the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is an interesting story because the, it's probably one of the most famous ones because it's just, it's just filled with so many bits of information that impact all of us and, and, and there's so much of it that, that has something to say but I think its title The Prodigal Son is probably wrong it, it should be called Two Brothers and Their Dad really because calling it The Prodigal Son is, is just calling it from the perspective of The Prodigal Son uh, but the story is about all three of them. It, it, it's a little bit like me talking to you about my brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a common trait from a large family. I've got lots of stories. So what you hear are the stories of my life. But the reality is most of those stories are from my perspective and not my brothers and sisters. And when we get together as a family and we talk about family stories, there are some shared experiences that we all agree upon. After that, everyone's telling a story from how they saw it. And so it's from their perspective. And so the prodigal son is, calling it the prodigal son, is looking at it only from the perspective of this uh, young man who decides to um, trade in his inheritance and live a hedonistic lifestyle. 
And so we're going to look at it from the perspective uh, of the two brothers and their dad. And, and we're going to read from Luke 15. We're going to go from verse 21. And this is the point when the prodigal has returned um, and is asking for some kind of place. He's, 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 he's not assuming he can be son anymore. He's, he's just thinking, at least if I could be a servant in the house, it would be better than feeding pigs. And so it says in Luke fifteen twenty one, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be Mary, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and wouldn't go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Now, I think that there is interesting how you can look at the, these three characters in this story. Uh, and the first one is a, is a young man who does not value the house that he has inherited. He sees it as cash value that he can do what he likes, rather than seeing it as an empowerment to be an amazing man. So he he receives this incredible inheritance, and he understands this is his inheritance, and he can do what he likes with it, and so he seeks to trade in what is his inheritance and live this, this hedonistic lifestyle of just doing whatever he likes and 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 eventually we know the story how that costs him ultimately everything and he is ultimately humiliated and then we have um, his older brother and his older brother is a is an interesting character because his older brother I believe is is, is rather than being a hedonist he's a bureaucrat and a bureaucrat if if the HMRC were Operating during the times of the Romans, he would work for them. Because right? HMRC have to employ bureaucrats, and bureaucrats have a certain mindset. Uh, to give you an example, um, every year at the end of the tax year, uh, I receive a letter from HMRC uh, for a tax demand. I pay PAYE, but they've recalculated my tax, and they've realised that at the end of every year, I owe them 1P. So they send me a letter for asking for one P. And every year they do this, and, and uh, some years I forget to pay. So the following year, they chase me up demanding two P. And they're furious that I haven't paid. And, but I've done some calculation, and I've done some research, and I've discovered that 
that it costs industry around about £1.45 to send a letter. Now, assuming HMRC are efficient with their money, which I doubt very much, we'll assume it's £1.45. That means that if they were to collect that 1p per year, it would take them 145 years just to collect the value of the letter before they've, before they've collected the value of the tax. <laughs> now, if they're going to do that for the next 20-odd years, and having done it, I calculated, it's going to take them 3,625 years to get back just the cost of the letters they sent to me before they make any money on the tax they collected. That's a bureaucrat, my friend. Somebody is there going, they're not doing the maths, they're just going, I'm going to make that guy pay. He owes a penny. He didn't pay it. I'm going to chase him down. You know what? This older brother... If he owned a car, he would only drive it between the lines and he would never break the speed limit. Not ever and not for any reason. He would have his wife. She would be there just about to give birth. Go faster. It says 30. It's 30 miles. I'm not, I'm not breaking the speed limit. If he came to a traffic light on a distant road where the traffic light has broken and it's red and it happens to be a bank holiday weekend... They would find his dead body at the wheel on the Tuesday morning because the light is still red. That is the type of guy this man was. He was a bureaucrat. He couldn't see outside of the lines. He was, he was driven by the need to live according to the law and not according to the value of the house. And so we've got these two extremes of these characters. One who is completely lawless and the other who is bound by the law. And then we've got a father, a man who has built an extraordinary business. So he has a secure and highly successful investment portfolio. He has a large house full of luxurious items. He has staff to meet his every need and the need of both his sons. He lives in luxury, but he is also kind, he's loving, he's generous, he's extravagant, and he's wise. He's kind of like, it's the dad we all wished we had, we didn't have. It's like, it's like we wished we had one, but, but you know, I, I would see kids going into their big fancy houses thinking, I'm thinking, oh, I wish my dad was that rich. <laughs> and we drove around in our rusty transit van. And, and, and it's kind of like, so here's the man who's got everything. But more than that, at the depth of who he is, it's not his wealth, it's his heart. He's a man of compassion and wisdom, wise enough to know that you can't keep a rebellious son down. That's a, I mean, if, if ever you want a law, if you, if you want a lesson in parenting, here's a lesson in parenting. If your, son, if your wild kid wants to run, let them run. Why? Well, because keeping them in the house isn't going to make them any safer than letting them run outside the house. They'll destroy the house. But as it was, he came back broken by his own wildness. It's a hard call for parents to make but and not one that would come lightly. But where there is rebellion, there is always the fruit of it. There's always the reward of it. 
And you know at the end of that reward, there is the need to be able to rebuild. And he knew, the father knew, looking out, waiting for his son to return, knew what his son would produce. So as a father, a wisdom beyond the circumstances, the the internal drive to hang on. And so we have this, this situation where these two sons, and we have this unusual circumstance in this set, and and verse 31, Luke 15, 31 says this. And the, the son, the older son is, is speaking to his dad and saying, look, you never did any of this for me. And his father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Quite profound that the bureaucrat never noticed that. He was so driven by the law that he never understood the value of what was his. And so I want to go through this morning. You've got to understand that we tend to sit between, all of us tend to sit between these two extremes. The hedonistic and the bureaucratic. We both, we, we, we sit personally both between those both extremes. And we can be both. Sometimes at the same time, which is a bit, flips your brain. But we, we can be wild in either extreme, often missing the point of what is in the house. See, the thing is this. There were four things in the house which signified the greatest celebration of your existence. There were four things. There was a robe, a ring, sandals, and a fatted calf. They were always in the house, and the sons never experienced them until this point. The oldest son was always in the house and he never put on the robe. He was always in the house, but he never wore the ring. He never wore the sandals and he never ate the fatted calf. There was always a fatted calf and he never ate it. You can imagine that. Would you have some? In our freezer right now, I, in our freezer right now, I've got this enormous leg of lamb. And I was chatting away to Chris Minty the other day and we were talking about the fact that you can go down to the abattoir down at Port Lethen and you can just buy a whole sheep if you want one. And, and I'm thinking about doing it because I just, I, I like lamb, right? I'm, I, and I want to buy a whole one and just eat it, right? So actually what I want to do is I don't want to eat it in one go because it's a lot of meat, but just chop it up. And every so often I go to the freezer and I'm going through and I look at this leg of lamb And I'm thinking about the day I'm going to eat it. I'm thinking about how I'm going to layer it with jam. I'm going to put rosemary on top. It's going to be raspberry jam. I'm going to put rosemary on top. I'm going to dose. I'm going to put about a quarter of a bottle of red wine in it. Not expensive because I'm cooking it. So, and I'm going to sit it in the oven. It's going to roast for about six hours on a really low heat. And then I'm going to make some roast potatoes. And the roast potatoes are going to ha- just be covered in a wholemeal flour that just is just a coating with oil to make them go nice and crispy and nutty. And we're just going to lay them in a little bit of herbs on top as they go in the roasting oven. And then we're going to bake some broccoli. And as we bake the broccoli, we're going to put a bit of cheese across the top. And as it just bakes, and then we may steam some green beans. I don't know if I've got enough room for green beans, but I... <laughs> I think about that meat that's in there. I guarantee you, one day soon, we will eat them. Here is a guy 
that's so bureaucratic, he's walked past that fatty calf his entire life, and it's never occurred to him that is a meal that's got to be had. There are things in the house that you can possess because this is home if only you knew how to possess them. Take a hold of them. If this is home, then home has for you a robe, a ring, sandals and a fatted calf for the celebration. And for every child of the house, they are possessors of those things. And I just want us to quickly go through the meaning of the robe. You see... The robe is an identifier of the character of the kingdom of God. It defines who you are. You wear the robe. This morning you came in and you were greeted by Junction Church t-shirt people. We've got, um, we've got uh, Martin and, and, and Philip sitting there with their welcome t-shirts. Downstairs, those of you with children would have ushered in and you would have known your children are being given to the right people because it would have said Junction t- Church tots. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have said King's Church. If you say King's Church, you know that you're in the wrong place. So go ahead. <laughs> Junction Church Tots. So it identifies who you are. identifies a level of trust. It identifies a mark of, of, of respect and, and a sense in which these people are here to help you. These, these are part of the family that, that can help you. That is a, that's what the T-shirt is for. All right? Now, the robe is a signifier of something critical. In, in, in Revelation, it says in Revelation 7.19, it says, After this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe and people, language. No one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. So there is a robe in heaven that is white and pure and the robe defines... Our access to the presence of God. It defines our royalty. It defines our right. It is is the robe that defines our identity. Here is one who was lost but has been found. Here is one who was broken but has been healed. This is what the robe signifies. It is a it signifies what you carry. It is the, the robe of, of the house. And, and here is a rich man and he has a robe. And the robe is, this is the robe of sonship. And I need you to understand there is a robe in this home, in this house. And it's not actually a blue t-shirt. It is an attitude of the heart that says, God has touched me in this house. And so I'm going to live as a, as a child of this house, as a son and a, a daughter of this house. I, I'm going to live with the robe so that people know that, that I am of this house. Yeah. Servants never wore the robe, but they were still in the house. Yeah. Servants never wore the robe. They're still in the house. They ate the food of the house. They enjoyed the privilege of the house. They were subject to the the loving care and wisdom of the father of the house. But they never wore the robe of the house. And so the house was never theirs. We have to make a church. Every Christian has to make this decision. Am I a servant or am I a son? Servants enjoy the same benefits to a point. But they never go on to inherit the fullness. 
I discovered something when I was coming into ministry life that I've got to inherit the robes of the house. I've got to put them on. I've got to be that person. I can't wear my own colors. I put on the colors of the house. Then the colors of the house will open doors for me. So that's the road. The second, the second thing was done was a ring was placed on his finger. And the ring is, is, is a ring of authority. In Genesis 41, 41, we see that Pharaoh has had a conversation with, with Joseph. And Joseph has, has very wisely, first off, he's, he's interpreted the dream. And then very wisely has said to Pharaoh, you need to find a man who is able to do these list of things. Take one-fifth of the, of the uh, corn, of the excess of your seven plentiful years and set them aside and make sure this man can, um, can oversee the seven years of famine that are going to follow. He's setting himself up for a job description because Pharaoh's thinking, well, there isn't any other man who's even seen this coming, let alone knowing how to manage it. I know you're the man. So Joseph's a smart guy. But this is what happens to jo- uh, Joseph in, in Genesis 41 and 41. I think I've got the right, right verse because I, I, I wrote in the chapter and verse after I cut and paste the scripture. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. The, the ring throughout history has always been the definition of authority to speak for the house. You carry the ring. Here is a thing. There is the ring of authority. It is the place of responsibility of leadership that Christ has placed upon this church. And you've got to understand, if you want to do something awesome for God, there is a ring that can be placed upon your hand. We are not here to be servants, but we are here to be sons and daughters of the house. To place upon, upon you the robe, And what is placed? The robe is placed. And once the robe is placed, there is the ability to see those who are prepared to wear the ring. And the ring is the ring of authority. It's the ring of leadership. It's the ability to be able to stand up and speak. And when leaders in this house speak, they do so for the church. It's really important to understand the power of full authority. That's why it's important to understand the spirit of unity. Because if you speak against the house, you break the power of the ring of authority and dismember the house from within. It's, a, it's an important issue to understand. The sons always had the ring of authority and the oldest son was always there. Never put it on. Never put it on. He was always a bureaucrat. He was always working in the field. What was he doing working in the field? He had servants who could work in the field. He could have achieved so much more with the authority given to him. He was acting and living like his servants were being held back because he wasn't being a son. If we're not being sons, then those around us are being restrained. Can't fulfill the kingdom of God. If we don't place upon our shoulders the robe of the house, the ring of the house, we don't wear them, 
then the people who are our friends around us are held back. Because they can neither inherit if we won't inherit. Are you with me here? This is what home is all about. This is why we're here. It's why we have families. It's why we have sons. And the, the most important thing for every parent is that they inherit the values of what you raise them in. That's, that's as parents, we, we raise our children with core values and, and we want them to inherit those values above all else. We want them to be successful. We want them to be happy. We want them to meet people that will love them for the rest of their lives. We want them to, we want them to process, be, do well in school and education. We want them to do all of those things. But there is something we want our children to do, which is far more significant than all of those things, is to inherit these core values that you know will, will take them through any storm, any trial, any difficulty. This is what it's about. This is what home is about. It's not about just coming to church, singing a few songs, having a great time, going home. It's not a, you could do that in a club. A lot of people are doing that and not including Jesus and, they, and they're still enjoying themselves. They don't even know that they're missing out. They don't even know Jesus wasn't there. They're part of a club. Church isn't a club. Church is a home. It's a family. And that means, whereas a club only gives you a sense of united kind of interest, the kingdom of God gives you an inheritance. Which when taken apart, see every person in this room can be touched by the house. And God could take every couple, every family of this house and spread you across the globe. Right? He could, we could be spread across the globe. This church has been spread across the globe many times over the last 22 years, right? It's been spread across the globe. People have come in the house, been spread across the globe. What, it, what is going on? What empowers them when they are the other side of the world? What they inherited in the house. If you're part of a club, once you leave the club, you're not part of the club anymore. It doesn't exist. But when you inherit what's in the house, it's always with you. Are you with me here? It's always with you. And so, the next thing was put on his feet was sandals. Now, sandals have a, a, a profound and deep and complex meaning throughout the Middle East, even today. Do you remember when Saddam Hussein fell and, and the first thing that those in the Middle East did, they took off their sandals and they're slapping pictures of Saddam Hussein's face. It's a, it's a dishonorable thing to, to do, to take off your sandal and put it on, on the face of someone um, I mean, I think it would be fairly dishonourable here, to be honest. You know, yeah. <laughs> come, here, come here, James. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not ever had, ever had a brother come up to you and go, sniff this. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know they're being dishonourable. <laughs> and so sandals have this, this, this unusual interplay. But, but here, this, this, um, this um, setup is the, is the sandals of... Um, royalty, the sandals of, of authority, um, someone who has stepped into a place of significance. And, um, and it says here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel um, 16, we read of this prophetic word of God speaking over the land of Israel and how God is restoring seen Israel's nakedness and, and her, her brokenness. And it says in Ezekiel 16, 8, it says, when I passed you again and looked upon you, indeed your time 
was the time of love, so I spread my wing over and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed away your blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I... I um. We've got badges. I would like to wear them in 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 our garden because they eat my chickens. And uh, and, uh, I think they would be better on my feet than running around the garden. But but the point about this is the, the, the sandals is this incredible, important understanding of readiness that those who are prepared and ready. The children of Israel, when they were in, um, in, in Genesis, they, they were um, held in this captivity and they're given this instruction um, to eat the Passover lamb uh, with their shoes on, with their sandals on. Why? Because they got ready to go. Those who have sandals have the power to do, to be, to enact, to take authority to run quickly to respond to any circumstance they've got the sandals here we have to understand that there is a there's the sandals of of responsibility the ability to respond quickly to any given situation or circumstance when God is moving I can go and you can tell those who carry those, the sandals, who've got on spiritual sandals, because when God is moving, they've already one step ahead. Sharon, I love it when we see God moving and, and we phone up to go, has, has anyone thought of it? And other people were phoning up and saying, it's all right, I've got it sorted. And people have stepped into many situations. What are they doing? They've got sandals on. They've just got the sandals on. They haven't gone, oh, I don't know, I didn't think of that. They saw the situation and they went, got the sandals on. Those who wear the sandals of the house are the ones who are ready to go, ready to work. And then we come to the fatted calf. And the fatted calf is, um, it's a really, it's important to understand right from the beginning. It it says in in Genesis, um, when Cain and Abel, and the reason that Cain and Abel was, was killed, that was Abel brought to the Lord an offering which was his fatted. It was the fattest animal he could find. <clears throat> the interesting thing about fat, it has all sorts of sort of um, significance, but it is excess. How many of you have got a little bit of excess? Uh, we often talk about the excess that I carry, and, and uh, I always say to Cheryl, over winter time, I, I'm building up my winter body, in the summer, I'll get my beach body, but I, I never quite managed it. This year or any year, if I can remember, actually, I, I'm just good at the winter body bit. And the beach body, it, it, I just never get around to that bit. And, and I discovered just a little bit of extra fat. And, and here's the thing, that, that the Bible is that God is looking for those who will give their best. And their best is what? Their excess. Fat is Excess. So God received Abel's offering because it was his excess. It was his best. It was where most of his investment, this is the fattest animal he's got, gave it to the Lord. But here's the thing. Because Christ has given us, what is in the house is a, is in the house is a house of excess. 
and excess, excess. I'm going to struggle to say that if I keep saying it. The God of extravagance, let's try, <laughs> let's change the word, it's easier to say. The God of extravagance, his extravagance is what denotes the kingdom and reveals the fullness of God's heart over your life. The son came to eat of the fatty calf. You see, you've got to understand. See, the bureaucrat in HMRC is, is thinking about 1p. 1p. And he's spending pound forty-five to get 1p. One day I'm going to find an opportunity to have a pastoral chat with him <laughs> whoever that guy is sending that letter I just want to put my arm around him and just ruffle his hair a bit <laughs> just go oh, you didn't think it through did you <laughs> bless <laughs> see see what you've got to understand that you, God needs you to understand how much he is extra, how extravagant he is yeah. and until you live with the extravagance, until you understand the power of extravagance, you'll never understand the power of the kingdom. Never understand the power of the kingdom. The kingdom achieves great things when the church is extravagant. Extravagant with its generosity. Extravagant with its push, with its things that will achieve, with its belief that the things which are greater and better, just to be a little bit Extravagant, just to step beyond. To understand there's got to be an extravagance around your life. Never let poverty be the definition of who you are. I like, many of you know, um, oh, I'm getting late. Many of you know that I, I like, just, I like quality clothes, not necessarily expensive clothes. Like quality clothes. So, but sometimes the quality clothes are expensive. <laughs> Don't talk to me. So, <laughs> sometimes quality clothes are expensive, but the value of them is far superior to those things which are cheap. Now, we've got to learn the spirit of wisdom. So, I, I know that a qual- this is a quality shirt, um, but I got this at a massive discount because I... I've become firm friends with the manager of a clothes shop <laughs> who, who knows me by name. And I don't necessarily buy a lot in there, but I just walk into Jules and in, in, I just walk into Jules and, hi, Kevin, how are you? I'm just looking around. And what I'm looking for is a bargain, Because right? <laughs> it's quality stuff and sometimes it's cheap and sometimes it's expensive. When it's expensive, we just go <coughs> and walk out. <laughs> And, but I walked in there and there was this shirt and I got like a 40% discount on the shirt not because it was a sale but because the n- guy knows my name <laughs> and then I went to Primark and spent £9 on the trousers but we won't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> you see the kingdom of God you've got to understand extravagance extravagance is what lifts the kingdom into it a significant place. If you cannot be extravagant, if you are offended by extravagance, you're offended by God. I remember one person being offended 
because I bought a Chrysler 300C. What a dim thing to be offended by. It's a car. What difference does it make? Nobody got saved because of it. Nobody went to hell because of it. It's just a car. Right? I saw somebody once get offended because we bought a nice coffee machine. We want nice coffee. <laughs> get it in your heart. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> get it in your heart. Extravagance lifts the kingdom of God. It lifts your expectation. It lifts where you are. We've got to learn there is a fatter calf in this house. We are not bound by poverty. We are bound by the spirit of generosity. And generosity lives in an extravagant place. It isn't foolish. It isn't hedonistic. It is smart. It saves those moments and says, now is the time for the fatted calf. There are moments in our life when we just step into a spirit of generosity. And we step into it and we worship God with a generous heart at all times. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.